Hey, welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. It's the first episode of 2018. I hope you had a lovely new year. My name's Amy Frost and my guest today is Lara Edwards. Lara's an international dressage rider, a producer and a breeder. So we talked to Lara about her journey through her riding career, what it's like being pregnant when you're riding and also what she looks for in a mare, a stallion and when her foals are first born, how she knows if they're going to be successful. This is Horse Hour. Hello. I was going to ring you back, but just let's. <laughs> our mares and foals, we've been trying to separate them. We've managed to separate them into separate fields, which is how I wanted to do it. And then the idea was to take the mares up to where we used to live um, later on today, but the foals through, during the night have decided to go through the fencing and join the mares again. <gasps> no. How <laughs> yeah. do they get through? Well, it looks like one of them, to be fair, has just cantered up to the fence and slipped because it's quite slippy. Mm. So she actually didn't, she probably didn't mean to go through the fence because the electric, it's a proper electric fence, mm. but she's just, you can see two real big slid marks that she slid straight into mm. the fence. Better. So <laughs> she's taken all the electric fence out with her. So <laughs> dad said, I think we need to leave it until Sunday. I was like, that's fine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How many foals have you got? Uh, four this year. It's the most we've ever had in a year. Um, wow. And I think we'll only really do two again. Um, at a time because four's a bit too many to try and deal with on our own so yeah. uh, but it just ha- so happened that somebody lent me a mare and said they would quite like me to have a bodyguard foal uh, from that so oh, hold on hold on had- what's a bodyguard foal well bodyguard is my stallion so he's oh, like a UPM okay. stallion um so obviously we know him inside out um and they said he has produced some really nice offspring so they said they would love to uh, to have one from him so we've sort of done it for them on the basis that I'll carry on and be able to ride oh, um, amazing. And keep, keep keep the ride on it so yeah and she's she's lovely chestnut with four white socks and but oh. chestnut mare we might have to see what happens with that <laughs> how, how can you tell then Nara like from when they're babies um, how can you tell if they're gonna you, make it you can tell from their movement um, or you can certainly see from their movement when they're in the field just sort of trotting around naturally obviously when you get tack on some of them become a lot more they move around they move a lot lot better and some of them almost move with a little bit less um, action but generally on a whole you can sort of see what they're going to be like temperament wise it's very easy to see quite quite early on Mm. um, mainly from what the mare passes on so the mares if the mares are a little bit um, standoffish with people or aren't sure about people then that's when um, the foals tend to sort of take that trait so we've got a couple of mares that came over from Holland that weren't really well touched. They'd had foals in Holland, but mm. obviously just out in the field, they don't really have them in the stable over there. It's all sort of a bit bit more... Um, oh, it sounds I a bit suppose, brutal. Fa- bit farming, yeah. Mm. Um, so when the mares came over here and we wanted them in the stable, it was a bit like, don't touch me, don't touch me. But they've all got better, but it just means that we need to be well aware when the foals are born that they need handling from a really early age yeah, so that they don't take on the traits of the mum that they do, do, do want to come to people. So basically, what we need to be looking at then is the movement from the stallion. Um, yep. So if, you, if you're choosing a mare, you want to make sure that they've got a good temperament then? Yeah, basically the the um, the mare the uh, foal will generally take on the temperament from the mum uh, because they obviously spend the first six months of their life side by side with their mum. Mm. So if the mare decides that at feed time she wants to be a bit aggressive or um, when you go in the field she doesn't really want to come to you, the foal sees that a little bit like people do, I guess. They mm. see that as a, a, a trait that they can then take on. Um, so we tend to use or the, all the mares that I've got other than this one mare that I've uh, borrowed for a few years um, are all my own mares that I've ridden with and used before. 
um so they are well well equipped if you like to uh, to be with people and two of the mares um are the most sensitive mares ever and they have produced already for us i've got a four-year-old um a three-year-old and a two-year-old by each of them and they are the same exactly the same temperament as their mums they've been really easy to deal with to break even though they've lived out in the field we haven't really had them in stables or a stall or anything they have big field shelters in the field when we have come to bring them in at three to break them in they've um they've been really easy oh sounds perfect and and so yeah yeah you so when they're because they're living out do you have to get those baby rugs for them or do you just leave them to be free no we do we do leave them yeah they have got um i don't know whether you turn around um you can probably see way in the distance and if you can see but there's a huge brick shelter and we insulate all the shelters so it's uh i don't even know how big it is about 20 foot long by I don't know how big, but they're big, real big shelters. Um, and inside there, they've got um, a bale of hay on each, uh, each end. Um, and then the rest of it is all decked out with straw. So really, it's a big stable, but we don't have to muck it out on a daily basis. What a good idea. And it's insulated, yeah. so it's extra warm for yeah. them. Yeah, it's insulated and it's a roo- the roof is insulated as well. So yeah, it's, it's really warm. But to, to be honest, they're quite, um, they are quite hardy. Uh, they're a lot more hardy than you think because even though they've got they've got two of those in a big field they're in 25 acre field mm. um, they don't actually use them other than when it is really really windy and cold but if it's just raining you'll see them just stood in the field eating the grass mm. Well, uh, I've know, heard horses they, quite like to be out and free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> they do know they're there because they're fed sort of close to the field shelters so that they get used to them from an early age. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they're, uh, they're good. Bless them. They're all good. Well, normally, Lara, I do an introduction yep. where I introduce you, but because so much is going on this morning, uh, <laughs> we've gone straight into it. So let me just quickly do an introduction so everyone knows who you are. So yeah. uh, we're talking to Lara Edwards, who is an international dressage rider and producer. And Lara, what I love about your ethos uh, is on your website, it's creating excellence naturally. And I think that <laughs> is so beautiful. So what what led you to come up with that kind of line for, for your brand? Um, it was basically from having or for some reason I went down the line of um, people coming to me with slightly quirky horses or slightly difficult horses. Mm. In their eyes, they saw them as being um, difficult, maybe on the verge. Of, they'd been told that they were on the verge of sort of being dangerous. I have very much in my head because of the breeding side that actually no horse is really dangerous. They are just scared of life. Mm. Um, Sounds like me. It, it, yeah, yeah. A bit like me too, to yeah. be honest, with any, anything new, any interviews. Um, but no, so, um, so I tried to go down the line of um, using a guy called um, Guy Robertson, mm-hmm. who is a natural horsemanship guy. I did have um, a couple of uh, ponies who we brought over from Holland for my nephews and nieces, and they were brought over, we brought them over as um, two and three year olds for us to sort of get them going for them. Um, and they were just, they'd been, lived out in a field very much like the foals that we were saying, but they hadn't had the human contact. Mm. So when it came to putting them in a stable, putting a rug on them, putting a head collar on them, they just thought you were going to kill them. So um, I, I spoke to Guy. Guy said, um, pop them over to me. I'll do a little bit of work with them. And then if you're interested and if this is going to be something you want to do, pop over and we can work together. So that's basically what I did. Um, so he had them for a few weeks and then um, I popped over and sort of did a little bit of work with him. And it just the it just amazed me that he could get these ponies to do what exactly what he wanted within three or four days. They went wow. from wild animals to very much calm 
they wanted to be with him they wanted to trust him although they were scared they didn't have a problem going to him they let him put hell halters and head collars on them so it just um it just made it a lot lot easier that you know realistically any horse although you might think that um horses are um dangerous it's not necessarily the danger side it's it's how you deal with it so from my point of view that the naturally was sort of trying to use the natural horsemanship Mm. um to to get them on side and um i ended up with one of the sort of really quirky ones was felix um jazzed up the one that i've done um, quite a lot on this year who is owned by laura um and tracy milner Mm. and he uh, they home bred him so they knew exactly everything about his background um and it just came when it came to breaking him in he was a little bit quirky um he was very sharp he was scared of somebody being above him um if he could see you in one eye and not the other he just got a little bit scared so we just worked basically together um and it took me about i'd probably say 6 to 8 weeks to get him to actually um sort of acclimatize himself to me being there i spent a lot of time in the stable with him i did a lot of groundwork with him just on the floor in the arena walking over poles um and yeah and then eventually now i would i would ride 10 of him um because he is still very sensitive but you can use that sensitivity to be able to create a test or do anything if you're in a test and you think actually i want a bit more a bit more from him most Mm -hmm. horses at that stage are probably giving you their all he's always got a little bit more to give Mm. Um, because of him being so sensitive so it just it works I now make it work in my favor yeah but how lovely because you're building a bond and a relationship yeah Yeah, and a trust it sounds like even from the babies you know babies right up to the grown-ups they trust you Um, and it's so nice to hear how much other time you spend with them other than just riding yeah, no, I I always say from the very first, I've got a four-year-old at the minute by Cadans, which is one of my um, my own stallions again. Um, she's homebred and she is out of the mare that I was saying was over from Holland and the mare doesn't really like people. So she was a little bit tricky to break. She did end up going to Guy's and spent a little bit of time with Guy to start with before we tried to get on board. But she um, she's still, even now, when she's been under saddle, eight months now um, and I still have to spend time in the arena with her walking over plastic bags because she if she has two or three days off without a rider on board even though she still goes on the walk and still goes out in the field she just gets very sensitive again Mm. so she's just one of these sensitive types that I think she will always be like that she'll always be a little Felix but as long as you look after her in the right way and you spend the time desensitizing her as they call it but it's I don't like the word desensitizing Mm. because that sounds like you're numbing them but it is desensitizing them but in a way that you can then use once you get on board they're not scared of your leg being on they're not scared of you moving around left and right and if they see you in one eye and then the other it doesn't worry them so it's all the stuff that you need to do on the floor to keep them keep them with you yeah I often think well if I didn't we know what these items are that they're afraid of because we've learned it but ultimately they they don't know what a plastic bag is so it's going to be scary so until you introduce it's like education really rather than desensitization you're educating them this is just a plastic bag you don't need to worry about it it's okay yeah it's exactly that and i mean all of mine do go out hacking we're quite lucky where we are Um, i've got some really good hacking so all of them go out hacking and they do see different things every day but i always it's the same principle very much with Felix that when we started hacking him if he saw something and he was worried he would genuinely be scared well with the wrong um, response to his scared he would have just completely lost the plot and mm. don't want to know what's 
doing himself whereas I found that you have to pat him although he is being silly and dancing on the spot trying to spin do whatever he likes just pat him and walk past it and then in his head he remembers that actually that was a little bit scary she patted me it was actually fine when I walked past it I'll go past it next time Mm. and that's very much how I've had to ride him all the way through I mean I do you know it's with the same with anything that I do very much keep on top of them not being naughty there's a difference between them genuinely Mm. being naughty and um and being scared and that's I think one of the things that I I feel that I can connect with with most horses and the nice thing is from my own point of view is all of the horses I've had um and bought or been been bought um I've produced them from being very sort of babyish if you like I haven't had anything that's been there and done it ever um so I have had to produce all the way through but for me that is I that's where I get the enjoyment from yeah but absolutely because the pride that you must then have of of your 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 career is so successful Lara and you're doing it (laughs) you know I wouldn't wouldn't say that but I'm still on the I'm still on the way up (laughs) it is international dressage rider um you know I just think oh my god fear I'm scared of everything you know the the fact that you get on the horses you you do everything yourself I think is really really admirable but yeah. also while you're a mum you're a new mum yes. congratulations yes yeah and well Annabelle's 18 months now and I am due another one on the first another little girl on the first of May oh amazing so I am, congratulations uh, I am 20 I think I'm 23 weeks now so yeah okay. which is why unfortunately I have had to make the um, decision there's quite a big competition this uh, coming weekend and although the horses are going fantastically mm. and at home I can run through the tests and do them all and I don't feel out of balance even though I've obviously got quite a bump um, this time compared to last time um, I've just made the decision that I'm not going to compete at the mm. higher levels just because when I've looked at videos and photos I don't like the overall picture of what it actually looks like although like <laughs> I say my balance is fine and I'm not interfering with the horse's way of going I'm still having lessons on it um, every two weeks I have um, Rep Bird comes over and gives me a lesson but he um, he sort of said you know there's no reason you need to stop until it's causing you the pain or you just don't feel safe to be doing it which I do feel perfectly safe but I just feel from a competition point of view um, I'm just going to wait now until after after number two comes along. Well the, the, now that's really interesting why you're going to wait because if you feel safe and you trust your horses to know I mean ultimately it is a dangerous sport so anything yes. could happen at any time so there's always yep. a, a risk involved with riding. Involved yeah. Um, but you're experienced enough to know you know yep. whether it how how big that risk is for you yes um, yep. but recently I've noticed a lot of angry people on social media yes. having a go at this woman that was riding because she was pregnant and I think she okay. was at a similar stage as you yeah um, do you think that kind of helped make your decision as to not go into the public eye riding yeah right now? It, it, it very much was that I think because mm-hmm. um, I have been seen or I, I have been seen in the past if you like riding so people know the size that I am or the weight that I am and I think if somebody was to see me now they would either think well she's she's put on some some weight over Christmas <laughs> um, and it is that it is that public perception that I don't want to be seen out there looking not looking as a dressage rider if you like imagination in your head should but more from um, as well as the public perception it is also from my own perception that I feel that although at home when I'm doing all the exercises I can if I feel that a stitch comes along or if I feel not quite right I know I can drop down to a walk give them a little rest and then I can get going again Mm. whereas obviously if I'm at a competition it's very much at the higher levels the biggest thing is obviously sitting trot Um, so I'd have to do all of the tests in sitting trot and actually for a five and a half minute test I probably don't ever do five and a half minutes now in the arena at home Mm. so it's sort of putting the two two things together that realistically 
the danger doesn't really worry me at all because both of the horses, although Felix is the one of the ones that is up there now, he's at small tour level. Um, I would be, it would be him that I would be competing, and he can spin three sixty quite quickly. Oh my goodness! Uh, but I trust, I trust him, and I just go with him because I know him so well. Mm. Um, but it is more the fact that actually, if I was to sit on him for for sort of a long period of time, then it might just um, it might be much. a little bit painful to be able to do the sitting trot. Yeah, but but I just think it's sad that your yes. part of it is because of the public perception. And I think ultimately, it's your body, it's your baby. You know what's yeah. right for you. You're a professional. You get paid to do this all day, every day. And if you thought there was a huge risk, like you're taking well, into consideration well, I, the well, the, actually, the sitting truck. I'm classed as an amateur because I do actually work um, part time for. I did work full time, but I do work part time for um, a housing company. So I do the quality, the snagging of the houses and the moving customers in. So actually, I I don't do it professionally. I am one of very few that does do it very much as an amateur. Um, I am lucky that I do have the support from my father um, and my mum in terms of the horses. They are are looked after at mum and dad's house. Um, So, yeah, I don't actually. I have got um, uh, Tracy and Laura Milner who own Felix or half own Felix with myself. Mm. Um, But actually, the horses, yeah, the horses are... Um, very much a uh, serious hobby I think I like to call it now <laughs> or an expensive hobby <laughs> expensive yeah very expensive hobby well, um, then, but yeah in, serious hobby. in that case you know the word professional means that you get paid to do a job that's what professional yep. does is. yeah which I don't um, yeah. but but in okay so let's take out the, that word professional and look yep. at your experience your expertise your skills those kind of things you're yep. up there competing with the people that are paid to do it so ultimately you're an incredible advocate for amateurs then (laughs) and you should be you know we we really should be supporting you because to do all that oh okay let's be honest I bought my horse five years ago to to compete dressage and to try and to do it properly and okay yeah yeah no 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 we haven't even made it to our third competition (laughs) you know for many reasons but for you to be able to produce all these horses and then go into breeding and and you know train them to such an incredible level um yeah. it, 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 you are an incredible advocate for the amateur world but I'm fascinated to know how you did it because it's so hard yeah I mean it is exceptionally hard and I won't I won't lie I am um, a little bit um OCD I suppose would be the word but mm. I I've always, I've always enjoyed um, training the horses myself, although I've always had a trainer. Um, so I've always had a trainer that will always help me through um, any problems that I've had. And very much at the last four to five years is very much down to rep, sort of moving me from um, uh, medium. I think I'd won the medium restricted at the nationals, um, winter nationals on Plex, one of my horses that I'd produced. So at that stage, I'd just started with rep, but he's very much moved me from a medium rider, if you like, up to now starting to just go through all the Grand Prix tests. Um, but um, I think the biggest thing for me with my a little bit with my OCD is the um, <laughs> the fact that I don't like other people riding my horses for me. Um, so it's made at the same time as as thinking actually. I want to do it myself it mm. has made it harder work for me because it would be very easy to um let one of the girls that helps me on the yard ride them for me but then I do think that certainly with the sensitive horses and that's the sort of horse that I do like to ride and I do enjoy riding can a sensitive horse understand different messages from different riders I don't I would probably say not um mm. and I do feel that when I go into a test uh, it doesn't matter what they throw at me what what some stage during the last five or six years of training them I've already done this I've already been there I've already experienced it so I can deal with it 
Whereas I think if you do have another rider that's riding the horse on a regular basis, nobody weighs the same, nobody rides the, the leg in the same position, nobody keeps the hands the same. Um, so I think for me, the biggest thing is the fact that I have, have had to produce them, if you like, all the way through. Um, I started, uh, when did I start with the dressage? I don't even remember. I'd, I was an eventer originally. Um, Were you so really? I did, yeah, I did eventing pony. I did the pony um, selection trials. Um, got through to the final trial with my little pony two years on the trot. And that was in 2007, I think, in 2006. So a long time ago. Um, <laughs> and No, nine, 97, sorry. 96 and 97. And then wow. I moved up and um, started with a um, horse that I got. And he was exceptionally talented on the flat. Um, he hadn't done a lot. He'd only done one uh, B event when I bought him. Very well produced, but he was six years old, not really done an awful lot. Um, and because I enjoyed I enjoyed dressage, because my pony was very difficult at dressage, which is why I'd spent a long time having lessons. Um, <laughs> she would jump anything. Everyone said she was a gypsy pony. It wouldn't matter what you put her at, she would jump anything. She was the only pony, I think, in the whole of the pony um, team selection that ever got uh, points for going too fast cross country oh, really? because I couldn't yeah I couldn't <laughs> physically stop her so she was 20 over 25 seconds inside the time every time I ever did it because she just was so strong um, so we never ever jumped her we never cross country trained we never did anything we didn't need to but dressage I had to have regular lessons to try and get her to be sane mm-hmm. so then when I stepped up to a horse it did mean that I found the dressage very easy and he was naturally more talented at that um, than the jumping um, and then I went away to university and he um, he was great on the flat um, good cross country but show jumping he was only small I have still got him actually one of the girls on the yard um, competes him dressage now he's 27 but he does still he does still go out there so Marvin a lot of people have known him as Ermin Street um, but he um, he was a little bit worried show jumping he wasn't very big as the fences got bigger he just started to get a little bit quicker I wasn't having regular lessons. I was away at university at the time. Um, Dad would meet me at competitions all around the country every weekend. So the only time I was riding him would actually be at the competition. Mm. I did keep my riding up. I went and um, helped at a local um, place to Harper where I went to university. But it wasn't um, it wasn't the same as riding Marvin. So I just stepped up, I think, from novice to intermediate level. And within a season, I went from um, intermediate to advanced. And then once I started to do sort of two stars and three stars or look at doing a three star, I just I was petrified, absolutely really? petrified of the show jumping. Yeah. So that's when I started. What, what um, were you afraid of? Just falling. Mm-hmm. Um, he he used to get himself too close to the fences, so then slide into them, or we'd end up landing nearly on a fence. And I say we used to do it all the time. It was only two or three rounds, but it was enough because um, the dressage was so easy for me. The cross country we flew round, mm-hmm. and because I I everything I like to do, I like to do perfection. So mm-hmm. I like to do to, <laughs> to the best I possibly can. To me, the failure was always in the show jumping. So then it became a little bit of a a failure on my own mind and it's amazing you don't realize how strong your own mind is until you get into sort of understanding what how you can tell yourself that you will win and you will win um so then I um lost a bit lot of confidence started just doing pure dressage with him said to dad that I would just finish my university time come back from university and then probably get back into it again when I could ride him on a regular basis and I felt like I was and again just going back to what I was saying earlier I think that's a little bit of my own doing that actually I didn't want somebody else riding him during the week for me mm. so when I rode him at a weekend or only competed him at a weekend in my head I was already telling myself well I've not been riding him all week so it's not yeah. going to go well yeah. so that's where it all sort of all the the mind coaching stems stemmed from really so as soon as I realized that I just didn't enjoy jumping 
um, or didn't enjoy show jumping, I actually um, booked myself in with a um, coach um, to see whether I could actually change my mindset because ultimately I did know in my heart of hearts, I loved eventing. I used to love going out for a full weekend with mum and dad in the lorry, but I also knew that I used to make it awful for them. They would like a nice weekend away, but I would make it awful because of my nerves. Mm. I would be not a very nice person to be around. And I, I used to know when I was saying things and doing things, I was being horrible but I couldn't stop it because it was all my own anxious and worry. Mm. Um, it comes out in anger, sort of, doesn't it, it sometimes? Does. Yeah. You either and, stop and talking you, yeah. or, or you go, leave me alone, yeah. leave me alone. And you know, ultimately we don't want to be that shouty kind of person. No, but no, I and think... you always take it out on the people closest to you and that was the worst thing for me because I used to know that dad was very supportive and mum were very supportive of what I was doing and it was obviously mm. very expensive what we were doing. So to go away for a weekend and it'd be horrible and I'd get always get home on a Sunday afternoon and, apologize and cook tea and be like I'm not like that person I promise I promise so that I got into the coaching and I absolutely loved it the the mindset and how strong and powerful the mind is was Mm. unbelievable so I actually ended up doing um, an ILM level five qualification so a university Ah. level level qualification in coaching on the basis that actually it's not just a case of I can go and read the books and do the exams I'd actually physically been there myself Mm. um, and I'd been scared I'd been wanting to turn around at competitions I'd not wanted to go I'd not wanted to ride I wanted to give up so it just helped me then be able to go forward and although I I will be honest I never went back into eventing I did go and buy um, another horse we went over to Holland and bought um, a horse again a very quirky horse (laughs) he was supposed supposed to be five and backed um, and when I went to try him they said you can sit on him if you want to but he hasn't really had a rider on him for a while mm-hmm. so dad being dad said yeah you'll be fine you'll be fine get on get on so on I got and he went backwards very very quickly very sharply but after about 15-20 minutes he really came on um, and I just felt actually you know what I have got a little bit of a, a relationship with him so obviously being a very quirky and very difficult he wasn't expensive we imported him over and I think the first time I sat on him at home I think I fell off six or seven times oh, he used wow. to bronk bronk and rear like bilio um but after probably three or four weeks he stopped that and we did crack on then and he was the horse that actually I won the two national titles um at the winter nationals um oh, at medium goodness. and advanced medium so yeah so that's where it all started and the idea of buying him was actually we were going to buy an eventer so we saw him loose jump and he jumped fantastically um, then when I started um, training him and get, getting him going, I just felt his movement was too expressive to be quick enough on a cross country once it got to the higher level. Mm. And also, I loved the dressage and taking him out to his first competition. And I think he got 76 percent when he'd never been anywhere before. Um, oh. It just to me, it was like, right, this is this is the start this is of a super something that I want to do. Yeah, it's so, interesting uh, just going back to the psychology side there is an element yeah. I think of um, the fear is overwhelming and when you lose your yes. confidence like that obviously you'd kept your confidence with the dressage but with the show jumping yeah. I think we see this a lot is we go oh it's okay we don't have to do that yeah. <laughs> and we we'll, move we'll into something that. else yeah, yeah. We, it's avoiding yeah. it so yeah. it, 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 I, I think it's great that you did although you didn't event you did go back and carry on show jumping yeah, it's not that you never show jumped again no because now even all of the horses I've got now although they are dressage horses I do jump all of them at home so mm. not big I'll be honest I don't <laughs> jump much bigger than a meter about a meter 10 meter 15 but um uh, I do you know all of them do jump and like the youngsters I do think it's very important when they're uh, first sat on once they've experienced a little bit of a life I do think it's important that they go and pop a little cross pole and walk over poles 
because uh, again it's just educating them when they're still learning and they're still taking everything on board the more you can show them the better because I, um, I hear people you know uh, you watch videos on YouTube and you hear different people's stories and they say well no I've got a dressage horse so I don't jump and and I yeah. have a Frisian cross Gelderlander and I was oh, determined nice. oh he's so beautiful Lara yeah and I was determined to make him jump because people said Frisians can't jump and ultimately he's not great and it's very gangly and half <laughs> yeah. the time he he loves it. He does. He really enjoys it. Half the time he yeah. goes through it. Once he's learned what he has to do, he yeah, yeah he's fine. There's no yeah. way we could jump a meter. I mean, yeah. not at all. So it's great. It's great that you jump the horses. But first of all, what breed are they? Because you, you seem they, that you always get them from Holland. Yes, the um, the horses that I've got at the minute. Although Felix, um, he is the he's obviously a homebred. So he is by um, Jazz, which is renowned. He is a, a um, Dutch stallion, but he is renowned for being quite hot. Um, mm-hmm. He does produce horses which are generally quite hot. But I don't want to put anything against using a Jazz because I would use Jazz ten times over now. Have, mm-hmm. Having experienced Felix, it's not that they are hot and dangerous. It's very much that they are hot and sensitive. If you're used to and you enjoy riding a sensitive horse, then it's the perfect stallion. So um, he's a Dutch warm blood. So he is Dutch, yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, although he, Felix was born in the UK, technically, obviously, his father was Dutch. His mother, I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to check with the Milders, but I'm not sure whether she was originally over from Germany or Holland or whether she was British bred. But because Felix obviously was born in, in um, the UK um, at the Milders Yard at South Grange Stud, um, he, he's very much British bred. Mm. Um, all of the others, other than my own homebred, um, all mm. of the others that I have, um, Bodyguard, who is a KWPN approved stallion. So he, um, we imported or he was imported at, uh, I think it was five or six. Um, and the guy who um, sent him over for me just to have a ride on um, and to train for him um, on the basis that he said, just have him for a few months, see how you get on. And if you don't like him, I'll have him back and we'll sell him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he knew that I would have him for a few months, <laughs> love him, fall in love with him and then want to buy him. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so Perfect. he is KWPN approved stallion. Kadans, um, um, which is um, another one of my stallions or was a stallion. He was actually gelded um, last year. He's just uh, found life a little bit um, difficult as a stallion. He didn't want to relax in a field. Um, he just was uptight and anxious, although he never was naughty or silly or did anything dangerous. You just could tell that really to be a gelding would be a much nicer way of life for him. Mm. So he was gelded um, last year and he's he's back with me now. Um, and then the others that I've got, Jack, um, we actually bought at the auction. I didn't go to the auction to buy at all. I was riding, uh, competing there on Bodyguard and Felix. Um, and the auction was on at the same time at Addington and um, I just fell in love with him in the stable <laughs> and then I got talking to the girl that um, had bred him who was actually his rider as well she it was really a nice little story that she'd homebred him um, she'd broken him in and she'd got him going um, and she said um, that she had a bodyguard at home bodyguard foal at, uh, no two-year-old at home um, oh, wow. who they absolutely love so of course we connected sort of that mm. way and then that was it she said please will you ride him please will you try him <laughs> um, and as soon as I tried him obviously whenever you try any horse that's nice you want to buy it so mm. then we went to the auction and although dad said no we're not buying any more horses we don't need any more horses we've bred our own which we have and that is the plan but they are all sort of ours are just a little bit too young this year 
I've got one four-year-old, but then I've got two years. The others are two-year-olds. I've got a couple of years to wait. So I just said to Dad, well, I could have something in the meantime to bring on and see how we get on. And I like the bringing on process. So uh, so that's what we ended up doing. Um, and Jack, yeah, came home with us from Addington. So he is, again, he is uh, from Holland. Um, I think the, the thing for me and the reason I've mainly bought or I've always bought from Holland is... Um, I have found them to be uh, slightly less expensive than what you can find in the UK just because mm. there's a lot, lot more available. But also the quality of the horses that you see over there, you can see 25, 30 really, really good special horses on a two or three day trip. Whereas in the UK, there are 25 or 30 horses you could see very, very easily, but they are five, six, seven, eight hours apart. Because right. there aren't many people breeding in the UK, the sort of the the, the top quality horses, um, it is a little bit more tricky to do. And that's really, I suppose, telling you a little bit about the story as to why I got then into the breeding. Mm. Um, because Dad and I both said that, you know, it's not easy to find a, a good horse. If you do go over to Holland, I suppose it's like anything. You have to be a little bit careful who you go with whether they're being honest you never know with anybody whether they're being honest or not if you breed your own you know exactly what you've bred you know what they've done for the last three years of their life um and it just got to the point when i did go over to holland just to have a look at what was available and the prices were a lot lot more expensive um the quality still there but not not the most amazing and again you were buying horses with um something on an x-ray or um it has had a little injury and it's back from work and so it just it just put you off or put me mm. off if i put six or seven years of work into it and i put a lot of hard work into it and then you have a problem and it's not you know it can't carry on and it has to be a field horse mm. it's an awful lot of money to have spent so yeah. so dad and I just said right let's and when I'd already got bodyguard at this stage in Cadans he said well you've got the stallions you know how good the stallions are why don't we use some of our own mares that I was competing at the time and one of the mares bless her she's um, she was well bred herself um kicked in the field between two fence lines and she never really properly recovered we did bring her back into work um but she got um kicked on a hock it's it was quite oh, swollen no. um she was at rossdale's for quite a while having it all sorted and although um it did it, she if you saw a trot in the field you wouldn't say she looked lame when i brought her back into work i could just tell that when i asked her to sit and take a bit more weight it just was a little bit tender too much fun. um and we we did buy her on the basis that she is very well bred if she did have a problem ever in life that she would actually be a fantastic broodmare mm. um so so that's why we then she was really our first if you like our established um broodmare from from the beginning and but yeah, there's so there. much talent in the uk and and so many talented riders that are producing stunning stunning yep. horses that i yep. think we could have i mean i don't know much about the breeding industry it's fascinating yep. to hear it but yep. we really could have some stunning highly talented british oh, bred yeah. horses yeah. i mean um emma blundell i'm sure you know about mount st johnston mm. emma blundell's oh, really, really helped yeah really really helped the uk and that's where now I would say my opinion from five years ago to going over to Holland to actually looking in the UK has changed because actually people like Emma are breeding and um, they are producing some really, really special horses. Mm. Um, but it's it's like you say, it's, it's like anything, it's changing people's mindset. 
that actually you can find something in the UK. And I know myself, I had two very small um, horses that were 15-1, 15-2. And realistically, I'm sort of, I'm quite, well, not quite tall, but taller. um, (laughs) And I do like something above 16 hands. So I I did have to make the horrible decision to have to sell two of the homebreds this year. But it was, it was really difficult to sell them, knowing full well that there was nothing wrong with them. They were fantastically bred, the most amazing temperaments. Um, you could go out and get 65, 70% on. They've only been under saddle six, eight weeks, but you could still take them out and get that percentage very easily. Mm. And I actually would have trusted them with anybody on board, but to, to try and sell them was was really really difficult. Um, was it difficult to sell them, or was it difficult for you, like giving them up? Dif- no, it was difficult to sell. People, I don't know whether people think that they weren't overly expensive, so they weren't of the quality because I didn't put a big price on them because I wanted them to go to nice homes mm. or whether it was more there are the people looking in the UK for, for the horses or are they going abroad how, can um, I ask how much they were for sale for 12 and a half and 15 okay it's 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 um I think it depends on so many different things including yeah. you know the, the caliber of rider that is looking at the yes. time yeah, um, I, I can think, you know, from a real amateur's perspective, I yeah. wouldn't have £12,000 to spend on a horse, even though yes, I would no. absolutely love that. that I think yeah. probably the maximum budget is between three and four is kind of yeah. the average price for this level. Um, yeah. And then I, I'm just trying to find reasons as to why yeah, maybe yeah. those horses yeah, didn't no, go. I, I completely, completely understand from the, from the sort of amateur's point of view that that is realistically what um, what sort of amateurs are looking or even sort of seven, seven and a half, I always say, is, is about what you would be looking at because that's what I was looking at when I was buying all yeah. the horses. But um, then for the professionals the time, or the, so, or the higher so riders. For, for us to to produce a horse to get it to three years or four years old the mm. cost of the semen although the stallions are now mine obviously i had to buy them at some stage the cost of looking after the mare the cost of looking after a foal um, and then breaking a foal in it, it doesn't it, it's just not physically viable to sell anything below mm. 10 mm. and that's where that's where the line is very very difficult um, and, and it's a shame the- in Australia they've got it made I think the way that they do things is incredible so for the um, again amateurs they want them to yep. be able to experience they want them to be able to have super horses and to be able to learn how to produce them a little bit and take on all the experience from people like yourselves through the breeding yep. and through the initial training but ultimately yep. the horses are really expensive so they have these I know in the UK we have syndicates for owners um, yes, and riders yeah. but in Australia so there's like one um one farm as it were that maybe has 12 liveries there okay. and they might have six of your horses you know the ones that you'd sell for 12,000 okay. and and so the liveries get you know each have two 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 liveries have one horse and they pay monthly they pay for the upkeep of the horse just it is their horse okay. for that year yeah. but they also yeah. pay towards the buying of the horse so it's almost like a a loan it's i think it's such an incredible idea because ultimately financially being able to afford that horse you could that's the biggest that's the biggest problem with our industry outlay is is the initial